His faithfulness. He is faithful, isn't He? Every once in a while I get discouraged by my unfaithfulness to Him. But I'm reminded that even when we are not faithful, He remaineth faithful. And I'm thankful that His faithfulness isn't dependent upon ours. He's not holding back His faithfulness just because we're not faithful. He's good. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been looking, we have been looking for several months at the armor of God. You remember we began looking at that passage that says stand against the wiles of the devil. And if there's ever been a time that God's people have needed to stand for what is true and what is right and against the onslaught of evil, it's today. Especially in a time when so many people, so many professing believers, seem to be bowing the knee. It's the time for God's people to stand for truth, for what is right. But if you remember, we started that sermon, that series, and we actually had to back up and go all the way back to the beginning of Ephesians. Because the scriptures teach us, the Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of God, teaches us that long before you can ever stand against Satan, you first got to walk. And before you can ever walk, you've got to sit. The scriptures say that we have been made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the battle against Satan begins there. The battle against Satan begins with understanding who we are in Christ. I've spent some time recently with some of our teenagers. And by the way, we need to do more of that. And let's do this. Just after the meeting this morning, how many of you have a particular burden for teenagers? Would you raise your hand? You have a special burden for teenagers. Well, then right after the meeting, I want you to come meet with me here. And we need to do more for our teens. And I'm determined to do more about it. So right after the meeting, if you have a particular burden for teens, I want you to come talk with me here. But I was speaking with some of the teens this weekend about the, the problems, one of the greatest problems that teenagers face today is figuring out where they belong. I was talking with one young man. He was saying, I feel like I'm in limbo. I said, explain to me. He said, well, I'm not really committed to Christ like I should be. I'm not in with the church crowd. I'm not in with the people of God. But I'm also not totally in with the people of the world. I'm in between. Well, I believe it's our job, believer, Christian, to help grab those teenagers and help them put them in the right place before they are pulled by the world. That's our responsibility. But that begins with sitting together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, finding our identity in the Savior, that we are a child of God. We belong to Him. That's where it begins. And when we begin to recognize all we have in Christ, then we can begin to walk. Remember Paul, four or five times, he says, walk in love. Walk not like you used to walk. He gives us these instructions about how to live and how to walk. And then we come to this command to stand. You'll never, ever, would you look here for a moment? You will never be able to stand against Satan and against this world if you do not first sit with Christ and walk with Christ, Amen. then you can stand. But until then, you'll never be able to. That's where we began 
our series on the armor of God. But then if you remember the last sermon, we'll pick up today where we left off last time. The last sermon, we looked at verse number 18. We looked at two words, praying always. We examined those two words, the necessity of prayer, meaning the armor of God is useless to you if you don't learn how to pray. If you're not always praying, the armor of God is of no use to you. Today, we take the next three words, praying always with all prayer. With all prayer. The armor of God cannot be used except it is done so in fellowship and communion with God. It's nonsense. You hear people all the time say, I put on the armor of God today, this, that, and that. They just say it out loud like saying the words are a magical formula. Well, you can say the words all you want to, but if you're not talking to God, if you're not communing with the Spirit of God, those words are just words. Just words. Prayer is the key to all of this. You can't just mechanically put on the armor of God. None of this armor will do you any good without a living relationship with God. Do you remember what Robert Murray McShane said? Your prayer life is your Christian life. If you're not praying, you're not really living the Christian life. Andy, can you turn me up just a little bit more, please? Your prayer life is your Christian life. Now think about the armor of God. The Bible says the first one, having your loins girt about with truth. Look, you can talk about truth all you want to. You, by the way, I'm tired of people talking about truth. It's about time we experienced truth and lived it. You can talk about it all you want to. You can philosophize about it all you want to. But if you ain't living it, if it's not real and your relationship with God ain't real, it's just words as right as your words may be. The breastplate of righteousness is no good to you if you're not drawing from the righteousness of God daily in communion with prayer. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace are no good to you unless your feet are being directed by the Spirit of God. You can talk about your, having your gospel shoes on all you want to, but if the Spirit of God isn't telling you where to walk and put those gospel shoes, then it's a waste of time. Your shield of faith. Well, your faith, you have no faith without a real relationship with God. Our faith is based upon the person of God. And by the way, let's be honest, if you don't have a, have a real, vibrant walk with God, then you don't have much faith. It's when I know God's talking to me. It's when I know the finger of God's Spirit pressing down on a matter in my life. When I feel the conviction of God or I feel the comfort of God, that's when my faith increases. And I'm reminded He does love me. He is with me. But without that communion with God, my faith is lacking. The helmet of salvation that protects your mind against the, the accusations of the wicked one, that doesn't do you much good unless you're talking to the God uh, of the universe and you're hearing from Him as well. The sword of the Spirit, some people wave that around like, it's, like just having it in their hand is enough. Well, it's good to have it in your hand. You ought to take it with you everywhere you go. But if it's not hidden in your heart... If you don't know the God of the Word, I, I know the Word of God. Good, but do you know the God of the Word? Do you remember that quote we looked at last time? Prayerlessness is the very pinnacle of pride. Let me say that again. Prayerlessness is the very pinnacle of pride. Because when you fail to pray, we declare our own independence. Look here. When you're not praying, you're saying, I don't really need you, God. Now, let's be honest. Let's be honest, how many days did you go this week without real prayer? 
Be honest. How many days this week did you get up in the morning and you did it, went about your business and you laid your head on your pillow at night and you never really talked to God? You know what you're saying? I don't need you, God. I got it covered. You'd never say that verbally, but that's what you're declaring without prayer. And so it's interesting. Look at this observation. Verse 10, Tommy read it a moment ago. Finally, my brethren, concluding all of this, my brethren, be strong. Now, most people stop right there. Most people stop right there. They roll their sleeves up. They want to be strong in theology. That's good. And be strong in doctrine. And that's very good. Then they want to be strong in orthodoxy. That's very good. But the Bible says be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might, not your own. And without prayer, all you do and all you have and all you say is an effort of your own and a demonstration of your own flesh and strength. Be strong in the power, uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And then at the end of it, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication. Here's what Paul did. He put two bookends on this warfare, the spiritual warfare he's talking about. And those two bookends are a complete dependence on God. Strong in the Lord and the power of His might. That's where it begins. Praying always with all prayer. That's where it ends. Always totally dependent upon God. If we could only get there. I was talking with one of our deacons this week. Uh, very encouraged by our time together. But he and I were saying that one of the greatest problems in the church today is that most of us just are not spiritually minded. We might be theologically minded, doctrinally minded. We might be baptistically minded, whatever denomination you prefer. Presbyterian minded, whatever it might be. That might be Pentecostal minded, whatever it is you choose, whatever flavor you want. That might be the way you are, but are you spiritually minded? Are you spiritually minded? And that can't happen without prayer. In fact, you cannot fight Satan with philosophy. Sorry, friends. Some of you love philosophy. That's okay, but you can't fight Satan with philosophy. You can't even fight him with orthodoxy. Hate to burst your bubble. You can't fight Satan with orthodoxy. You can be rock solid and sound in your doctrine and in your practice and still be defeated. Did you know that? And you might be confused and in despair because you've got all the right doctrine and all the right theology and all the right practice even. You might even say, well, I believe in the regulative principle and we only do what, that which is found in God's Word. And I'm, we're strict adherents to these things. And you still live a defeated life. Why? Because it's dead orthodoxy. It's lifeless theology. It's empty doctrine because the God of that doctrine is missing. A real walk in relationship with that God is gone. And you can know it all and even point out all the errors in other people's theology and teachings. And yet still your life, your own life, have zero value to any other human being because you're defeated. Do you know that I, get, I really get bored with, with some people? I get really bored with people who can point out all the faults and failures theologically with other people. But yet their life is just as dead and lifeless as anybody else's. It's about time we stopped pointing out the faults and failures in everybody else and started looking in the mirror of God's Word and examining where we have been lacking. And I believe it all begins with this matter of prayer. Two words the last time, praying always. Three words this time, with all prayer. 
Everything we do must be done in a spiritual manner. I will not move from that to the day I die with the help of God. Everything we do must be done in a spiritual manner. Brought to life, quickened by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. By the way, every time you sing a hymn, ought to be done spiritually. Some people say, oh, this is boring. Well, it's boring because you're not doing it spiritually. You say, well, I, I like another kind of music. But just because you like another kind of music doesn't make it spiritual. Oftentimes, it's soulish. It's just what you prefer. That don't make it spiritual just because you, you, you like the way you feel when you do it. That doesn't make it spiritual. When we sit in a meeting like this, if it's not spiritual, it's a waste of time. It's just intellectual. It's pointless. You might as well go to a lecture at Oxford University. Some of our friends here have had enough of those. They're finished and tired of them all. Didn't come for another lecture. We've come to hear from God. But if you don't have that mindset and that, and that perspective and that goal, then we miss out on so much. You remember what Paul said, The letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. And much of our Christianity is letter Christianity. It's Christianity of the letter. And we're no different than the Judaizers of the Galatians. We're no different than the, the, the infiltration of the, of the Jewish uh, principles of the New Testament. We're no different. Trying to bring everything back under the law, legalistic. We've got to be careful. There's got to be a breath of God's spirit, a breath of life in all we say and do, or it's a waste of time. Now, as we think about prayer today, it's amazing to me that the place that the New Testament gives to prayer. It's remarkable. In fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, when you think about the person of Jesus Christ, the, 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 the place he gave to prayer. Now, Jesus is God in the flesh. If there was anybody that ever walked on this planet that didn't need to pray, you would have thought it was Jesus. But yet we find, look at, a, look at a few verses. I want you to switch your ears on, your brain on if you haven't done so yet, and listen carefully. Matthew 14 says this. Listen to this. Matthew 14, verse 22 and 23. And straightway Jesus constrains his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. I want you to say that last word with me. He was there alone. Alone. Now Paul says, praying always with all prayer. Here's one kind of prayer. Private prayer. Can I tell you the one prayer that gets neglected the most? Private prayer. Why is that? Look, I find it easy to pray with my brethren, don't you? I find it quite easy. Here comes one of my brothers. Can you pray with me? No problem. We pray. Can we meet this morning, 5.30? That may be a little bit challenging, but can we meet sometime to pray? That's easy, isn't it? In fact, we find it a liberating and a joyful experience. We'll come to that in a moment. But private prayer is the hardest prayer because it's the realest prayer. It's the most real prayer. You can come into a meeting or a service and light a few candles and, and hum and on and pray, but what about privately? When you ain't got a candle, when there is no incense, when the organ's not playing softly, when you don't have your praise music on, what about going up into a mountain alone to pray? That's where we got to start. It's amazing to me that if Jesus, the Son of God, thought it important to push the multitudes away, to put his disciples on a boat, 
and to go up into a mountain so he could get away from everything just to get alone with God, don't you think you and I ought to do the same? Private prayer. Luke chapter 5, verse number 16. Listen to this one. Luke 5, verse 16, the scriptures say, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. He withdrew himself into the wilderness, away from everything, to pray. When's the last time you went alone, got, got alone, went into the wilderness to pray? I was talking with a brother this week. He was saying how he loves to walk through the fields and the woods to pray. That's exactly the pattern we find of our Savior. Luke chapter 6, verse number 12. These are all, by the way, just examples of the Savior. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. He continued all night in prayer to God. Would you look here for a moment? When is the last time you spent an entire night in prayer? Some of you say, never. Why not? If Jesus, the Son of God, could spend a whole night in prayer, don't you think you and I ought to find the importance of doing the same thing? It's interesting. I was talking with a brother recently. that We can say tonight, we're going to have a praise night Friday night, and I guarantee you everybody will be there. But if I were to say Friday night, we're going to have an all-night of prayer. It would probably be me and the crickets and maybe one or two other brothers. Why? It requires a measure of death to self, a measure of discomfort, a measure of sacrifice. But you see, the problem is we don't realize how powerful prayer is. We don't realize how much can be accomplished through prayer. We don't believe it. If you and I really believed that prayer was powerful, do you know what we'd be praying nonstop? We would be taking the, the Apostle Paul's words, praying always with all prayer. We'd be praying from the time we got up to the time we went to bed. We'd be taking weeks of prayer and prayer and fasting and all nights of prayer and mountaintop prayers. And we would be praying always if we really believed that God heard and answered prayer. Jesus did. Now don't think for a second I'm pointing my finger at you. I'm preaching to myself. I'm preaching to myself. Seasons of prayer. He spent all night in prayer. And by the way, don't wait for somebody to organize it. Don't wait for somebody else to organize it. You follow the Spirit of God. If He says to you, look, you want, tonight I want, you to, I want to be with you. I was talking last night to some of, the, some of the couples. We had a very encouraging couples meeting last night. Just a, a time of casual fellowship and open up the Word of God. We were talking about this matter of prayer. And um, I, was, I was explaining that there have been times, even in the last couple of months, there have been times when I knew that God woke me up in the night. You ever had those times? Two or three in the morning, and I thought I was getting up to use the toilet, but the reality was God woke me up for me to spend time with Him. And I can remember there was a time of two or three nights when I knew that God woke me up, and I knew, I knew communion with the Lord like I hadn't known in a while. And the sad thing was, the fourth night when it happened, I dismissed it. I was tired. And I haven't had the same thing in months because of it. The problem is we just don't really believe that God wants to be with us. We don't really believe that God wants to talk with us. We dismiss things as, uh, that's coincidence. We dismiss things as being uh, a coincidence, an accident, chance. When we forget that our God is sovereign. There are no coincidences. There are no chances, no accidents. God is in control, and He wants to be with you, and He wants you to be with Him. Seasons of prayer. Luke chapter 9, verse number 18. 
And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him. That's an interesting little verse. As he was alone, his disciples were with him. Now that sounds like a contradiction, not at all. Sometimes we can be together. I've had some sweet times of prayer here on the field with some of the brethren early in the morning. And we've been together, but yet we've been alone. We've been together, but he was praying over there, and she was praying there, and he was praying there, and I was praying here, and we were together, but alone. That's possible. Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, place and there he prayed. Morning prayer. What about in the morning? One of our brothers was being so honest last night. He says, I just can't get up in the morning. How many of you feel like that sometimes? You just can't get up in the morning. Yes, I feel that way. Jesus got up early, a great while before everybody else, a great while before the sun got up, and he, and he went to a quiet, solitary place, and he prayed. Matthew 26, we find him in the garden with his disciples. He brought three of his disciples with him. And in verse 36, then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and he saith unto his disciples, Sit here while I go and pray yonder. This was urgent prayer. He was about to face the cross. Some of you are about to face, some of you are carrying a cross. Some of you are carrying a burden so heavy, and it requires urgent prayer. Some of you are about ready to face the trial of your life. You're going into a difficult season of life, and you need urgently to seek the face of God. It's, it's interesting. In the same chapter, verse 42 and 44, he prays the same thing. That tells me that that's, there's persistent prayer. Look here for a second. Don't quit praying. Do not give up. Oh, I've been praying for this person for years and they're not saved. Don't stop praying. Don't give up. I've heard of a prominent preacher back in the Victorian era who prayed for 30 years for one of his sons to be converted. And it wasn't until after he died, but his son was converted. That tells me, don't give up. God is working. You may never see it, but God is at work. Persistent prayer. Matthew 14, verse number 19. I love this. This is a very interesting verse. Matthew 14, verse number 19 says, And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. He took five loaves and two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed and break it. Prayers of blessing. Prayers of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for this food. Please bless it. Now, we do that sometimes. God is good. God is great. Thank you for the food we ate. But genuinely, sincerely giving thanks for everything God has given and asking the Lord's blessing upon it. I used to look at people strange when they pray over their car before they left, but that's just something to be admired about that. Realizing this car is a gift from God, and God, if God sustains my heartbeat, then surely he's able to sustain the engine while I'm driving as well. That kind of dependence upon God, simple dependence upon him. In Matthew 19, he, he brought children beneath his care and into his arms. And verse number 13, the Bible says, There he brought unto him little children that he should put his hands on them and pray. Blessing of children and blessing of other people. And then John 17, you can't talk about prayer, Jesus' prayer, without thinking about the high priestly prayer that's recorded for us in Scripture of Jesus the Son talking to God the Father, and he prays for us. He prays for us. That's intercessory, intercessory prayer. Now, I want to spend just a few moments in closing by looking at Matthew 6. 
if you've ever been raised around any kind of Christianity or, or religion or orthodoxy, then you will probably know what we refer to sometimes as the, uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. Have you heard that before? And some people have made the mistake of thinking that this is a prayer that we should just repeat. Some people think well, this is a prayer that's given to us in Scripture and we just ought to repeat it every time we get together. So you go to some places and it's, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And they, all they do, it, they just repeat the prayer. And I'm not saying that's altogether wrong. Sometimes that brings comfort uh, to repeat a prayer if you think about what you're praying. But this prayer was given as a pattern. And so God in His mercy, when, when, when God told Paul to write praying with all prayer, all kinds of prayer, he also was already thinking about the words that Jesus had taught already. And he says in Matthew 6, When ye pray, after this manner therefore pray ye. Verse number 9 of Matthew 6. Pray in this pattern. Here's your pattern. And this is how we learn what kind of prayer to pray. And the scriptures begin with, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you know, I wonder how many people say that and don't even know what that means. I wonder how many times people quote, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and they have no idea what it even means. You know what Jesus was saying? There ought to be a kind of prayer which is devoted, look here, and dedicated to simple praise and adoration. Now when's the last time you did nothing but praise God? When's the last time you had a time of prayer and you didn't ask Him for, for your toe to be healed and you didn't ask Him for your puppy dog and you didn't ask Him for for more money or a better job, and instead, you just praised Him. When's the last time you spent time in the presence of God and all you did was praise and magnify His name? That, my friend, is where every prayer ought to begin. It's got to. What business do we have asking God for blessings and gifts if we don't stop and thank Him for who He is? Can I, sit, can I submit something to you for a second? Perhaps the reason we don't do that is because we don't really know Him. We don't really know Him. You don't praise somebody unless you, you know them and have find something in them worthy of praise. You don't find a friend and say, that's a, that's a true blue friend. Can I tell you one thing? He's faithful. He's loyal. If I ever need him, he's always there. You don't say that about somebody unless there's a reason for you to say that. And maybe the reason we don't praise God is because we don't know Him. This ought to be the very foundation of your prayers. That all the rest of your prayers come from an understanding that God is worthy to be praised. Why do we neglect this part, this kind of prayer? I want to challenge you. I want you to find some time today. Five minutes. Time yourself. Ten minutes maybe. And say, I'm going to do nothing but praise God in prayer. 15 minutes, I don't care. Set a block of time aside and say, I'm not going to ask God for anything. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm just going to, all I'm going to do is praise God. I want you, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Challenge you to find some time and do nothing but praise His name. The Bible speaks so much of praise. So much of giving God adoration. He adoring God. Giving Him worship. You know what worship is? The word worship literally means you attribute worth to someone, value. Most of us never enter into true worship because we don't realize how valuable and worthy he is. There's the first kind of prayer 
in the pattern of prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. See, one of the hardest things in the world is to bow your knee to the will of God. Are you listening? One of the hardest things in the world is to bow this old knee to the will of God. Because we are so self-willed. We have everything mapped out. We want God to do this and this and this and this. But before Jesus ever starts asking, he starts bowing. Before he ever starts saying, God, I need you to do this and I want you to do that, he bows the knee and says this, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Can I just say something? We are not kingdom-minded in this life. We are our own kingdom. All we think about is building our own kingdom, our house and our cars and our families. All we think about is our own selves, our own little kingdom. And, 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 and we have even a saying in our country that you know, every man is a king in his own house. And, and we have every man's house in his own palace, his own castle. We have that mentality because we are so self-kingdom-minded when we ought to be praying, Thy kingdom come, and Thy will be done. Before you ever start rolling out the petitions, before you ever start asking God, you ought to be saying, before you even start, God, I've got a lot of things to ask you. I've got a lot of things to say, but I'm just going to start right now with this. Your will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Then we come to these petitions. Then we come to these things when we have need. Now I love this. This requires a life of faith. Here's the way we are. You know what we are like in the Western world? Give us this year our daily bread. That's what we say. Lord, give me this month my daily bread. i got a lot of bills to pay. Would you please? I need that big lump of money. But Jesus taught us, give us this day. We are so focused on the future that we miss today. We're so focused on what we're going to do when we finish up with university. So focused about what our next move is going to be that we miss right now. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of wasting days. I'm tired of putting my head on my pillow at night and thinking, what did I even do? What did I even do for the glory of God? What did I even do of any eternal value? I've wasted another day. I'm tired of living like that. And Jesus is teaching us, pleading with us, give us this day our daily bread. Do you know who the daily bread is? That's Jesus himself. The bread of life. Manna sent down from above. God, give me your son today. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I need you today. As thy day, so shall thy strength be. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that passage with Elijah, the journey is too great for thee? But you can't even get through one day by yourself. What are you doing thinking about next year? You can't get through one day. What are you doing thinking about what you're going to do when you're finished with the university in three years? What's wrong with you? Today, give us this day our daily bread. If we would learn to live by faith and learn to live walking in communion with God day by day, our lives would be turned upside down. This city will be turned upside down. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let me stop for a second. Somebody once put it like this, a, a pattern of prayer. You can use the little word acts. A for adoration. C for confession. Forgive us. Forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I wonder, do you spend time in confession to the Lord? Do you spend time in repentance?
before the Lord. That's an important part we leave out. Now, sometimes we say, you know what? I'm already forgiven. It's all washed in the blood of the Lamb. I'm forgiven. I don't need to ask for forgiveness. Well, in principle, we are forgiven. It's all washed away. But there's a necessity of keeping a short account with God. There's a necessity. When you know you've done wrong immediately, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Confess it before the Lord. Get it off of your chest. Get it out of your heart and mind so that you can walk with God closely and tenderly without being distracted or without having a wedge between you and God. There's some of you who can't hear the voice of God because you haven't brought your sins before Him. Forgive us. Adoration, confession, tea, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. And the last one, supplications. Paul said, Praying always with all prayer and supplication. You know what that is? Supplication is simply praying for others. Your petitions, your requests. Supplication. We've heard before, you've heard me say it before, I, I've met men who have only barely made just enough money, just barely enough money to provide for their own family. And, and we give thanks that they're able to do that. But I've also met men, some men, who not only make enough money to provide for their own family, but they also make enough money to provide for their family and help somebody else as well. I want to be that way spiritually, don't you? I want to be that way spiritually that I not, not only am I keeping myself right with God and I'm walking carefully with God, but I also then have time and energy and effort to think of others. But if we're not taking care of our own walk with God, you're going to be of no use spiritually to somebody else. Do you know that? And this is where most of us fail. We're not walking with God the way we should. We're not tender. Our walk with God is not sweet and compassionate and real. And therefore, we don't really have any time for somebody else because we're always worried about ourselves. Oh, is God upset with me? I don't know. Where are you, God? And we're so preoccupied with self. We don't ever have any time to pray for, really pray or intercede for somebody else. When's the last time you got to your knees and prayed for some of the teenagers sat at the back of this tent? And the last time you were so moved about these young lads that every week fill up this front row, that you prayed for them by name, that God would save them and not just save them, but call them into His work and ministry. When's the last time that happened? We're so busy, preoccupied with ourselves. When's the last time you were so burdened about the traveling community that you said, Look, enough is enough, God. Send a great revival. When's the last time you're burdened about the homeless? Whatever it might be. We're so preoccupied with ourselves, with our, own, with our own work, with our own family, with our own bills, with our own university, with our examinations. We're so preoccupied with ourselves, we don't think about anybody else. But we're told, we're told to pray with supplications. Pray for other people. And I love what Jesus teaches us in Matthew chapter 6. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, those who've done us wrong. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he ends it by saying, Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's all his. It's all his. We forget that, don't we? We sometimes think, we don't, we'd never say it, we sometimes think like the deist believes. The deist believes that there is a God somewhere out there, and he, what he did was he created the world somehow, whatever way he did it, and he, and he wound it up like an old clock, and uh, he wound it up and just let it go. He let the world go. He's disinterested, disassociated in another world. That's the way sometimes we act. 
We don't actually actually believe that God is interested in our lives. We don't actually live in communion with God because we don't pray. We don't pray. And if we do pray, it's usually some measly, repetitive prayer, the same one we say all the time, with no heart, no depth, and no meaning. I promise you that if this church would learn how to pray, this city and this country would be turned upside down. If 12 men could be used of God to turn the world upside down, what could 200 do? If 12 men, fishermen, they weren't Oxford University students, 12 fishermen. If 12 fishermen could turn the whole living world upside down, what could 200 of us do? Nothing without prayer. Nothing. God has put you where you are today in your life, in your community where you live, in the job that you work, in the school where you're studying, in the university where you're, where you're studying. God's put you right where you are to use you for His glory. But you will never be used until you develop that communion with Christ and that walk with Him that is praying always with all prayer. There's nobody more guilty than I am. Nobody in this tent more guilty than I am for not praying the way that I should. I don't condemn you. I'm with you. I condemn us all. We need to get it right. We've got to get it right. Away with all of our silliness. Enough of all of our self-willed, self-motivated Christianity which accomplishes nothing. Nothing. May God keep us from being dead. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, it is our greatest crime and our greatest shame that we do not pray the way we ought to pray. And we ask of thee, Lord, teach us to pray. Burden us, Lord, about this matter that we would pray always with all prayer, that we would recognize the pride of our hearts when we don't pray. We would recognize the declaration of selfishness and independence that we make when we don't pray. And we ask in mercy, change us, Lord, Help us to see. Open our eyes, Lord. Help us to see spiritually that we're not really doing anything of any worth or value. We're doing nothing of eternal weight at all until we be walking with Thee. Help us, Lord. Take our orthodoxy and make it living. Take our doctrine and theology and make it alive. Breathe upon it all, Lord. We ask, Father, please, help us with this. I pray that even this week, you might change us. This week, speak to us, Lord. Awaken us in the night. Stop us in the day. Speak so clearly and obviously to us that we would remember this sermon. We would remember this time together. And we would be made to remember and think that you want to be with us more than we want to be with thee. Help us, we pray. Draw us closer to thyself. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.